All right, welcome to the Cube Show podcast, a college football podcast comes to you on Sundays. We focus usually around the Southeastern Conference and practice underway for every SEC school. So we've got updates for that. We're going to take you through the majority of camps, kind of let you know what we're hearing, what we're thinking, uh, some good, some bad, some concerns, and maybe some real positives coming out of a lot of these SEC camps. So uh, I think I like a lot of what I'm hearing more so than not liking what I'm hearing, uh, especially with some of the questions that we addressed last week. Now, we did have a poll question on the Twitter account, iCube Show, if you want to go follow, also on Instagram. Do you want us to talk about realignment? Um, it leaned a little bit heavy no, which is where I am. I'm not, I'm kind of over it. Uh, I didn't like all the speculation. I didn't like what people were saying as far as they knew, and then they didn't know, and oh, God, something changed, and last minute news was this, but you just told us seven hours ago it was definitively that. But now that it seems like it is somewhat settled, um, we'll go into it a little bit on the back end. I'm not going to dive into it as much as how much I like the new conferences and where it's going to go and who's going to have success and project out championships for teams. But what I am going to do is just kind of discuss where I think it's all headed and what it means for college football and just sort of my feelings on a lot of it. And you may have seen some of that on Twitter, um, but I'll just kind of go through what I think about where we are and where we're going. And there's some good, there's some bad. You, you might not like that. You may love that. But it's just kind of going to be part of the conversation today. I feel like we, we've got to just get it out there. And I want you guys to know like what I think, what I see, a little bit of what I'm hearing, and then maybe where we are in the grand scheme of things moving forward. Uh, as you know, each and every week, we are brought to you by our friends at Wickles Pickles. They are wickedly delicious. You can find them in your local grocery store. Go to Wickles.com. You can have them drop shipped to you. They've got the okra, they've got the pickles, they've got the relish, but the OG pickles we love because we snack on those here in our house. We put them on burgers, appetizers, whatever. They got awesome recipes on their Instagram as well, at Wickles Pickles. Go check those out. They are the title sponsor of the show, and we greatly appreciate them. We've got some good news for the podcast coming up next week. Next week or the next week, one of the next two weeks, a um, little bit of a collaboration that we've got coming that I'm excited about, and I want you guys to just know that that's coming down the road, so be ready for that. Uh, nothing's going to change about where you find it or how you get it, but it's going to be fun. All right, let's get right into it. Um, Alabama had an open practice on Saturday, so there are a lot of questions kind of answered. It sounds like quarterback is not really uh, – nobody's really taking that thing by the horns. I think Saban actually used bull by the horns. Saban's used every – coaching analogy with his quarterbacks this season, baking the cake and leave it in the oven and, you know, leadership. So, you know, the, the, the cream will cry, the, the, whatever it is, cream will rise at the top. I mean, it's, he's, he's going through all of them. And what he's saying is we need more time to make a definitive decision on who this is going to be. I believe that it goes into the first game. I do think they have it settled by game number two. Should be able to give you some good insight on that after week one. Um, but, there were a couple of different things that we got out of Saturday outside of a couple of the quarterbacks looking pretty good. Apparently Milrow, a couple of big throws, Simpson, a couple of nice throws, but then some weird throws and some bad throws. Um, one thing that I know for certain having nothing to do really with Saturday is that they like the defensive line right now. And outside of Jaheim Otis and Braswell Turner, uh, that's been a little bit of a concern of ours, something that we've talked about. And whether it's Tim Smith or some of the other younger guys that can step up and be extra bodies inside, it's going to mean a lot for Kevin Steele and his defense as to just how they're able to operate moving forward. Um, 
Braswell and Turner, that combination, by the way, probably not being talked about enough. Dallas Turner, yes. I think everybody knows what he's about, what he can do. But Chris Braswell's played a lot of football, been a pretty good pass rusher. And they went out of their way to get him on the field, to have all three of them on the field at times last year because they thought they needed more of him. Now he's going to be a regular guy. And I think he's someone that could be an impact player for this Alabama defense this fall, having a good camp thus far. The offensive line, I know they had been happy about coming into Saturday and not that they regressed or took a step backwards. It's just you see that Pritchett a little bit banged up, but that's going to go to Caden Proctor, who we've talked about is probably going to help that group at some point in time anyway. Maybe he's fast forwarded a little bit. But when I hear that Booker's banged up as well, I'm concerned. And I not saying it's anything major, not saying anything they're gonna, not going to be able to get past. I just don't want to hear about injuries to the guys that mean that much. And Tyler Booker means that much to Alabama, in my opinion. So hopefully it's fine. They move on from it, get a day or two off, and they're able to get back in, be full go. Those things, people get dinged in camp all the time. So I'm not going to say it's terrible. I just don't like hearing about it this early. Um, some good things coming out of Florida from what I'm hearing. Now, you had a couple of big-time names that were out, uh, including Ricky Pearsall of the scrimmage on Saturday, had some sort of undisclosed illness. Uh, That's not anything really to worry about. Here's what you need to know about the Florida camp right now. Offensive line is on track. Yeah, you lose Osiris Torrance, you bring in a couple of transfers, but apparently that group has satisfied what the coaches want to see thus far. It's big news because they're going to have to have that without a dynamic run threat from the quarterback position and two backs that I think you can lean on. Graham Mertz, leadership trending up, um, has excelled in a lot of their practice functions so far through fall. They've been in pads a couple of times. So hearing good things about Mertz. The middle of the defensive line, apparently, however, is not very easy to move. Uh, and we knew that with Cam Johnson coming in from Memphis. And obviously, you know, you got the big boulder inside. But I... That's that's a great starting point for what Austin Armstrong wants to do. And from my understanding, the middle of the defense has been exceptional. A name you're probably going to need to know for this Florida defense is going to be Scooby Mitchell, Alabama native. Um, probably play some inside, probably line up and rush the passer a little bit. But from what I'm being told, he can handle everything. And a young man that I think could be an impact player for this Florida defense that not a lot of people are talking about. Florida people know him and know what he's about. But outside of Gainesville, there's not a lot of chatter. Uh, Mitchell, the linebacker transfer from Ohio State, sort of brains of the operation, handling things. And, I mean, you go back and look at it. And the kids played and started a ton of games. So there's no reason he shouldn't be helping. But he has sort of taken it a little bit to the next level. And then those those younger wide receivers, that was a group that we thought we needed to see a lot from uh, living up to or surpassing expectations so far. Andy Jean being one towards the top of that list. Eugene Wilson, Caleb Douglas. Same thing as Alabama. A, a couple of guys maybe was you know dinged up a little bit, some soft tissue stuff. I don't know exactly what it is, but not going to keep them out for long. So not everybody's been present as much as they would want them to, but that young group of receivers is what we thought they needed to be thus far. Still early, but we'll see. South Carolina, um, defense is impressing from what I've been told. And I we've talked about on this show that the defensive line had so many snaps well, Jordan Strace is back. Mo Cobb is back. And that secondary is loaded with experience. And, and it's it's an odd group that people just don't talk about. It's easy to talk about Rattler. You know, it was easy to talk about Jaheen Bell and him moving on. And what are they going to do? And then Nicholas Harbor's coming in and he's going to be a receiver. I, I understand everything. Trey Knox, the Arkansas transfer is going to be great. 
But it's just people just kind of swipe left on that defense. And I don't really understand it because there's a lot of guys that have played significant snaps and have been pretty good. Now, it might not be the A-plus-plus first-round draft picks, but they got good dudes. And the back end of the defense has been really good thus far through camp for South Carolina. Spencer Rattler, really good through camp. Apparently more comfortable in this offense. Feels better about this offense. And making a lot of the different throws that he struggled with a little bit at times a season ago. But confidence is through the roof for Rattler. So that's something to also keep your eyes on. Um, and then I think we talked about coming out of the spring to carry on Joyner at running back. Could he really help? They said he had a good spring. That momentum has continued into fall camp. So I think Joyner's going to be somebody that can really help this football team because you've got a receiver, quarterback, now playing running back that can be a Swiss Army knife hybrid, sort of do it all, line up different places. I mean, imagine the gadget plays with him just taking the direct snap. He can do all kinds of things. But apparently excelling at being an actual running back. So good things coming out of Columbia there. Uh, Georgia, Javon Bullard seems to be a big portion of the conversation, just really continuing what a lot of people thought he was going to be this year. Just looks like a leader that wants to play everywhere, that's ready to make tackles, that is just a grown man. And I, we, we had him as one of the best safeties, nickel, whatever you want, in the SEC coming back. And it looks like he's going to go past that. Um, you know, the Carson Beck thing is still the big question mark. And situationally, he'll be put in some spots. He's going to get he's going to be coached hard now. Like you talk to anybody, talk to Aaron Murray or any of those guys, and they'll tell you that you know Mike Bobo's hard on his quarterbacks. Like he doesn't put up with a lot of bullshit. But I also think that that gets you prepared for game situations and how to handle things mentally, emotionally. How do you deal with them? So he'll be tested. But I still think that's a tiny question mark right now in the Georgia camp. It, that door might not be completely slammed, uh, even though a lot of people say it is. Maybe he ends up winning it, running away with it. But I do think it, there's still a small ounce of a crack where a couple of the guys are going to be able to compete and maybe at least make a run at that job. Uh, Tennessee, hear good things offensively. Offensive line kind of coming around. You got a couple transfers that need to fill in, but. It doesn't look like that's going to be any sort of a liability or anything like that. Defensively, the depth apparently has been the highlight of the defense thus far through camp. Just more guys, more capable to get more reps. And Peely, the linebacker transfer from BYU, is going to be a playmaker. Now, personally, I see him more as a one-way go type of a player where, all right, blitz the A-gap or – you know, see ball, get ball, like go knock this guard on his ass so we can loop around and go make a play. But he's still going to have to read and react sometimes. I don't think that's his strength just yet, but is going to add some athleticism and a little more oomph to that linebacker position for Tennessee. And I think they're they're pleased with what they've seen out of him thus far. And that depth is going to make a big difference as well. Um, LSU, Mason Smith is back. I think the conditioning is the real question mark with him now. Can he get back to where he can go 50, 60, 70 snaps a game? When does he get to that point? But couple of the scouts that have rolled through there and seen him uh, have been wowed. I'll just say that. Uh, and he's practicing. He's going. So it's I mean, he's available. It just takes a while to get that much wind back up under you to where you can be that effective for that long inside of a single game. Um, you know, I, I think some of the transfers, you know, still making some decisions on exactly how they're going to fit in, where they're going to fit in specifically on defense. Um, but Mason Smith been a big portion of the conversation there at LSU. I know there's a lot of confidence around what's been happening and what they're going to be capable of this upcoming season. 
for Mississippi State, the, the, the things I'm hearing are just that the defense is fine. I think we all sort of thought that, right? Because you go in and, you know, Zach Garnett now with Matt Brock as your D coordinator. Essentially, they're both running the defense. They know what it's supposed to look like. You got two really experienced linebackers back. You got some experienced guys up front back. And I think one of the things that one of the things I know they're going to try to figure out, it's a big question mark right now going through camp is just how much can they dial back the aggressiveness because of the ability to play more complimentary football? It was a goal. It was something that they wanted. However, if, if the offense doesn't get ramped up, there, there could be just as much aggressiveness defensively once they get into the season. So I, I don't think that personnel on defense is a big question mark. I think they know what they have and, and who's going to be there. Right now, schematically on offense, technique, fundamentals, understanding of how certain things go, you know, different angles with the offensive line, timing, quarterback, receiver, play action, running backs, all those different things are just going to take rep after rep after rep after rep. And you're coming from a system that was the epitome of repping things. And you got to flip it around now and get all those reps with that. And because there's much more to do, you might not get as many reps. So really interested to see it week one and just how they all adapt to it, because there's some really good football players on the offensive side of the ball for Mississippi State. Yet it, it doesn't appear that it's just going to be a natural fit for a lot of those guys. Doesn't mean it can't work. Just not very natural based on what we've already seen. Um, Missouri, I know Blake Baker likes his defense. I know he loves his defensive line. I think Kevin Peoples, D-line coach, is a guy that probably deserves a lot of credit for that. But this thing's still going to come down to quarterback. Everything that I'm hearing are the skill positions are fine, are solid. The offensive line's been okay. But it just comes down to quarterback. Who's going to take it? And then what's the ceiling of the individual that does take it or does win it? And I think that's going to decide a lot because that D-line is going to disrupt. They're going to be filthy. They're going to be nasty. They're going to be aggressive. And then you have enough skill that if you can get it to and distribute the football to them, they're going to be able to make that thing work and make that thing go. So um, I, I think there's a lot of positives coming out of Missouri camp. It's just more on defense right now and some still some big questions at quarterback that a lot of folks just not 100% sure exactly how it's going to play out. Um, Texas A&M, we got to hear like media day, whatever they, they, they did their press conference. We heard from Petrino. We heard from Jimbo. Uh, my understanding, and I feel pretty good about saying this, actually I feel great about saying this, is that Bobby Petrino is calling the offense and running the offense. And Jimbo, for as much as he can, as the head coach who's an offensive guy, is out of the way. So for everybody who heard those quotes and – tried to spin him into a negative or still doesn't buy this or believe this. Everything that I have been made aware of is that this is fine and it's all good and it's working out. And if you've listened to this show, we've essentially said that. So we'll see if that goes all year. Week two, Coral Gables. I'm not worried about it. I'm not worried about that portion of it. And I don't think you should be worried about that portion of it, but my Folks that I talk to tell me, don't even worry about it. You're good. It's all fine. Um, now, I think you still look at a couple of the position battles. Um, is quarterback going to be one that's really open? Probably not. Um, I, I think Connor Wigman's got that thing locked down. Could you mix and match the offensive line a little bit? Maybe. You're going to cross-train that defensive line because you have so much talent. And where do a couple of guys end up in the secondary? Still some of the bigger questions that you have moving in. Uh, another place I'm hearing some really good things about, is Vanderbilt. Um, I think they really like their defense. I think structurally, there was a lot of confusion as to how it was supposed to be run, 
what some of the checks were, what to react to, where some of the read keys were. All that seems to be smoothed out this year. So the Vanderbilt defense may be set to make a pretty significant jump. Now, offensively, I know they feel good about what they've got. It's just there's still some positions that need to be felt out. Quarterback, A.J. Swan, done. You've got your X, your number one target wide receiver, done. But you look at certain positions like maybe running back, still got to figure that thing out a little bit. Some talent, happy with the talent that they have but not 100% sure of exactly who's going to emerge, how many guys are going to emerge, how many guys are going to be able to use, who's getting the first run, all those different things. So all that's got to play out a little bit as well. Um, Hugh Freeze doing a great job of sort of playing down the Auburn camp right now, but I, my belief is that Peyton Thorne is taking this thing by the horns and is ready to, to emerge as the guy. Um I think you'll probably see Gunnar Britton over at right tackle. I think he's he'll probably get that spot locked down. That's been one that we've wondered who was going to step up and if they were going to have to move him into guard based on somebody else, either stepping up at tackle or guard. But it looks like he'll lock that one down. They've been without Jarquez Hunter. That should not be a big surprise if you listen to this show. I do not see it going past week two, but things can still happen. I I, I don't think that there's going to be an exact timeline on when the book can be closed on that. Um, I think it's a very, it's a very good possibility that he misses some game time, but how much of that I think is still dependent, but I'm confident that Auburn fans will see him play a lot of football this fall. Um, And then you just got to figure out the wide receivers who wants to be where, how you're going to use them, different things of that nature. There's just so much continuity and chemistry that needs to be worked out in that Auburn camp right now that I don't think it's, it's really, it's tough to focus in on a position or a guy so much because quarterbacks easier because it's just one guy doing essentially one thing, running and managing the offense, but he goes out there and executes the whole deal. The other spots, I think there's going to be a lot of mixing and matching cross training. So it'll take a little bit longer to figure out. Keep in mind, some teams are just getting into pads. Some teams have been in pads two, three times. This is a separation week right here that we're going to have. So when we come to you next week, and when we're brought to you by Blue Delta Denim, BlueDeltaJeans.com, you can go check them out. They are the most comfortable pair of jeans I've ever owned. They are custom-fit denim for you, premium-quality denim, breathable, lightweight, comfortable, flexible. Maybe if you're a big Husky guy like me, that's the most important part. You can dress them up, wear them out to a nice dinner with a sport coat. You want to wear the T-shirt, you're good to go with that. I promise you, once you get a pair, you will not want anything else. Christmas not that far away. Go ahead and get the appointment schedule now or go ahead and get the gift card. Tell Nick and the guys you heard about them right here on Cube Show, the best denim you'll ever own, Blue Delta Jeans, BlueDeltaJeans.com. Uh, so when we come to you next week, we're going to know a lot more because Saturday going to be a big scrimmage Saturday, and you're going to have two, three more practices and pads under our belts for all these teams. So that's that's kind of what we're hearing through some of the fall camps, some information a little bit more than others. Wanted to just update everybody on what was going on, kind of how that thing was playing out. Um, if you hate realignment like a lot of me does, you can just push stop now. I don't ever encourage anybody to not listen to the show or be a part of the show. And by the way, thank you guys. We really do appreciate everything. Uh, so many guys have been helping out. So many guys have been so nice about different things. We're just trying to grow this, this little baby podcast here and, and compete with some other people around college football. But we, uh, we do see the feedback. We do hear you talking about enjoying it and want more of it. More episodes down the road. We'll see. It's a conversation that we'll have. I've got some more news for the fall that's coming maybe in the next week or two. Can't get into it now, but just stay tuned for more of that. Anyway, 
Um, I don't I don't love talking about this. I'm going to be honest with you. Like there are people who love the speculation and love to try to spin it forward. And is it going to work there? Are they going to win there? This, that, whatever. Uh, now that it's a little bit done, and there, I think there is probably still two, three more moves to come for teams like Washington State, like Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, what's going to happen? Um, I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll go into this like this because I don't really know another way to do this. I don't I don't know another way to kind of talk about this or or have this conversation. College football, I love you. And I always will. Um, you have provided me with everything I have in my life. I have repeatedly said that every dime that I have made in my adult life has been because I played football at Auburn University. And I don't say that just to say because it's Auburn University. I say that because that just happens to be where I played my college football in a conference that matters a lot against other teams that matter a lot for a university that it matters a whole lot. And it has opened doors and given me opportunities that folks who were not afforded that same opportunity, most of them have not had. Those opportunities have still had to be taken advantage of and made the most of. Some I have, some I haven't. I've made plenty of mistakes along the way, but college football is responsible for me being here right now. For me being on WJOX, weekday mornings, 7 to 10 with Greg McElroy, thanks to Ryan Haney. For me being on the SEC Network on the Saturday night primetime game with Jordan and Tom. Thank you, Steve Ackles. But all those opportunities, whether it's the videos I'm doing on AL.com, anything like that that I've had over the course of time has been because I played college football. I will always have true respect, true admiration, and just legitimate love for the sport. I am also someone who grew up not a fan of Auburn or Alabama. I told you my parents both went to South Carolina, had an aunt play basketball at Clemson. I grew up kind of a college football fan. I went through a period of my life where I loved Miami. I went through a period of my life where I loved Notre Dame. I used to love watching old Nebraska teams play. I, When I was a kid, say 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, people asked me what I wanted to do when I grew up. I said I wanted to play college football. I grew up a Steelers fan, and I love the NFL, and I'll never stop watching the NFL, but I told people that I wanted to play college football. Um, I had been to so many great environments, so many great places. I've explained to you guys on this podcast before what Legion Field has meant to me growing up. Legion Field to me was what the upper deck said, the football capital of the South, because I went to the first SEC championship game. I went to bowl games there. I went to high, high school state championship games there. Um, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, Tennessee, Alabama, other non-conference games like that. That play, that was my football mecca growing up. That's why the, the 98 Iron Bowl is still one of the most meaningful football games that I ever took part in. However, there is a, a piece of my fabric that will always pay attention to and always love the history of college football. And I feel like to understand how we got here, you have to have that. And it is becoming increasingly difficult to only be positive about where we're headed if you have that respect for college football's past. It does not mean, when I say that, I don't mean that we're not heading to great places. I don't mean that there are not a lot of positive things coming our way, because I do think that there are. We're going to get amazing football. We're going to get more competitive football. We're going to get more competitive football games. We're going to get more big brands playing one another moving forward. But for all the people that are walking around, turning their nose up 
at the other 80 college football teams or the other 60% of college football that they feel don't belong, I've seen Troy beat you at your place. I've seen UAB beat you at your place. I've seen Appalachian State beat you at your place. So I have a really good understanding of even though they might not get the same kind of eyeballs, even though they might not get the same kind of ratings, they also have meant something to the fabric of college football forever and forever will. There is a large portion of our foundation that we are walking away from. And that hurts me personally, just to be honest with you. I don't want that. I don't feel like we need that. I don't feel like we have to have that. I'm also not dumb enough to know that we're going all of these different places for certain reasons. Finances being number one. If you want to mention greed with it, you can, because there's a large portion of it that I think that biz is a big reason as well. A lot of what college football was built on were games that have meaning and purpose, rivalry games. I think we make a mistake as college football fans sometimes by drawing the line way too early on what a rivalry game is. Army-Navy, the Iron Bowl, the Egg Bowl, the Civil War, the Red River Shootout, largest cocktail party in the world. Those are rivalry games. We know those rivalry games every year. We talk about them a lot that final regular season weekend. But I think what we don't understand is that there are a lot of other games that have become rivalries in our heart and in the back of our minds. That being divisional games, let's say Alabama, Mississippi State, Auburn, LSU, Auburn, Arkansas, Arkansas, LSU, Arkansas, Ole Miss. All of those games are rivalry games. Rivalries invoke emotion. Elation, joy, relief, sorrow, grief, regret, anger, fury, all of it. And when that happens, that game has more meaning. And we have spent decades building these games up with meaning. More and more and more and more and more. We've just stacked it on top of one another. Racks on racks on racks of meaning. And some of it, not all of it, I'm not a guy that's going to sit there and tell you it's, it's ruined and it's over and it's done. Hey, we're getting Texas and Texas A&M back, but we lost it for a little while. We're losing Bedlam. Do we keep the Civil War? Is that going to take place? Is there a way for us to still have Notre Dame, USC, Notre Dame, Stanford when this is all said and done? I, I don't know the answer to that. But those games, because of the players that torched us from those other teams, when you're an Auburn fan and you're playing Arkansas, you remember Derek McFadden running away from your DBs or Matt Jones turning the corner on a stiff arm and taking it to the house or double duty Davenport catching three touchdowns down the seam. You remember that and it hurts you. But then by God, it feels great when you go back and beat them the next time at your place and you know you're going to get that shot the next year. So those rivalry games are something that we have built our passion, built our interest, and built our fanfare on for a long time. And to see some of that go away is disappointing. The regionality, I do believe, plays a large portion of why it's become so popular. Because when you step out of that region as a great or a power or a headliner or a logo, and you go to another region to play, you take that pride with you. And they take that pride in that region to make sure that you don't come in there and win. I do think some of these schools are in better situations. The fact that 
all but four Pac-12 schools could leave and make more money with a newly negotiated deal on the table should tell you a lot about where that league was and how that league had been run. And listen, I'm with a lot of you guys that Larry Scott did a lot of terrible things. I won't deny that. However, Larry Scott was no dictator. Larry Scott didn't go in there and tell people how long he was going to be in charge of it. There are a lot of other adults who are responsible for him being in the position of power that he was for a very long time. I know, buddy. Just one second. Okay, yeah, we're going to watch a show. I'm, I apologize. The, uh, the three-year-old wants to watch a show here, so we're going to try to fire up some monster trucks for him on YouTube. I would like to be able to tell him one day what college football was all about and why college football had meaning and why it was so great. I'm happy for certain schools that made their way into the Big Ten, to the Big 12. I'm happy for the schools that are coming into the SEC because I think situationally some of that is going to be better for those universities. I don't know if it's all better for all the players. I don't know if it's all better for all the athletes. But I do have an inherent fear about where we're going and when it's going to stop. I've said with NIL and I've said with players wanting a piece of the pie, it will never be enough. It's some, at some point in time, we have to ask ourselves about the people who are in charge of college football. If we ask them that same question, would we ever get an answer? Because my answer to realignment is also often this. When does it stop? I have no idea. I don't know when it stops because I don't know when it's going to be enough. And maybe it never will be enough. So I wanted to get that in. I wanted to at least just say that about realignment, make sure at least that I had an opportunity to share some of that with you about my feelings of college football, where it's going, where it's headed, where it's been. There's a lot of positive, man. There's a lot of great. We're going to get a lot of good from it. It's sports not going to be ruined. When the ball is kicked, we're still going to be really interested in what's happening and what's going on. But the equity that's been built over time, I hate to see some of that thrown away. And I just wonder, do we have a reset button big enough to be able to go in there and replace even a fraction of what has already been built? Because when you talk about meaning moving forward, there are a lot of games that we think are going to be really cool and look really good on paper that will have absolutely no meaning other than what the spread is and those two fan bases wanting to get a win that day. I always appreciate you guys tuning in. I want to tell you about a new sponsor of the show, Blakely's Bouquets, right here in Homewood, Alabama, right there on Oxmoor Road. Listen, Blakely's 205-579-4900. I had a great idea. I thought about this. Why not sort of play a trick on your rival if you want to? When their team loses, send them flowers. Like if we're talking about the Iron Bowl here or some of these other rivalry games, if you're an Ole Miss fan and you go beat LSU, send your LSU buddy some flowers. To say sorry that we just killed your program. Uh, Blakely'sBouquets.com is where you can go find them. Also find them on Instagram at Blakely's underscore bouquets. If you need flowers delivered in Shelby County, Jefferson County, it's absolutely free. And if you're outside that area and need flowers delivered in the Birmingham area, Blakely's Bouquet is your go-to. Just go to Blakely'sBouquets.com or call 205-579-4900. Appreciate them hopping on as a sponsor of the show. No more realignment talk next week. All football as we update you on camp, scrimmages, and get you set for the actual kickoff of the season. Please click like, subscribe on the YouTube at, Co- at Cube Show 61. That's the YouTube page. Twitter, Instagram, at Cube Show. Always go check that out. Please follow along. We appreciate that. Any suggestions you have, leave them in the comments or what you want covered, where we should go. We're not doing graphics for you. I'm sorry, we don't have chapters. 
We're just a little show here trying to make college football content for you each and every week, and we'll do it again next week. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.